there is nothing wrong with your internet, do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your setting. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the Fangirl Zone. And welcome back to episode 10 of Sci-Fi Talk on the Fangirl Zone, a podcast where we discuss shows on the Sci-Fi Channel. I'm Sean Fangirl S. And I'm Steve, and tonight we'll be discussing episodes 8 and 9 of The Magicians. Now, first I want to say this is going to be kind of quick synopsis of episodes 8 and 9, because this is the second time Steve and I are trying to record this, because the episode turned out horrible. We sounded like we were sucking helium. In tin cans. <laughs> so we're going to get this one to you guys, and you're going to get all the rest of the season kind of one right after the other. So right. I apologize. Yeah, you're going to get about eight or nine uh, <laughs> shows all at once. <laughs> I apologize. I've been trying to play with this stupid recording forever, and it is what it is. But on the plus side, Steve has some news for us. All right. Sci-Fi announced that independent filmmaker Craig William McNeil will direct all six episodes of the newly limited anthology series Channel Zero Candle Cove, which will premiere in October of 2016. The six-part Candle Cove, the first installment of Channel Zero, is based on an unnerving tale written by Chris Straub that gained notoriety online as a popular creepypasta user-generated horror stories that are published and passed around the internet sounds interesting okay creepypasta is awesome if you haven't read any of those i highly recommend it those i highly recommend it and, uh oh go ahead and nick anticosta who's done hannibal friday the 13th and teen wolf a novelist and screenwriter wrote the channel zero Candle Cove pilot and will serve as executive producer alongside Max Landis. This is really sounding great, which I know we haven't really got into it, just the stuff that we have read about it, and we hope you guys read more into it. But it seems like it's going to be something that changes. So everything's kind of like they've been doing with American, American Horror Story. Story. Yes. So I'm hoping we will get threads that weave them all together, but this, this sounds like it's just going to be really pretty cool. And uh, let me see. It looks like The Magicians was nominated for a Saturn Award for Best Fantasy TV Series. Nice. Something that, you know, we, of course, have known. Yes. But it's awesome. <laughs> yes, it is. And we know the episode titles of episode 12 and 13. 12 is entitled 39 Graves, and 13 is Have You Brought Me Little Cakes? Now I'm hungry. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's jump into episode eight, The Strangled Heart. Elliot and Mike grow closer while Quentin and Alice spend time apart until Mike, while attacking Quentin, stabs Penny with a cursed blade. Recognizing a similar event in the Fillory and Further books, Quentin and Alice are able to save him. Mike pretends to have blacked out and remember nothing until Eliza confronts him, at which point he recognizes her as Jane Chatwin and seems to kill her before being killed by Elliot. In rehab, 
Julia meets a chaplain named Richard, who is trained at break rooms and introduces her to religious magic. So it's kind of interesting what happens because there's a lot of little pieces that I didn't put together when we were originally watching this. Right. Because the fact that uh, Eliza is Jane, first of all. Right. <laughs> that's kind of a big thing. But I love how you put and seems to kill her. Right. Because obviously Jane is, you know, a pretty powerful magician. She's talked about being a traveler, but do we think she's really dead? You that's never know. Yeah, that's a very good question. You you know, it it sure seemed like uh, Mike took her out, but yeah, pretty gruesomely. Yes, there was blood splatter on his face. Yeah, yeah. I I think Eliza might be done. I think this was still a bit of a um. <sighs> open wound, I guess, between us. Right. Because you're thinking that maybe she was able to get out, get away somehow or... Yeah, traveled, left her body before it died. And I'm still thinking, I don't know how that's going to happen. Yeah. But, I mean, anything is possible with what we've seen so far with Break Bills and the magicians and everything. Yes. Although, can I just say, and this is completely random, and I'm sorry... We haven't seen anything about Clinton's dad again. No, we haven't. That was pretty important. You'd think that would come back around at some point, but, you know, maybe in season two. Yes. So I I feel like Elliot and Mike getting very close, (laughs) which is kind of an understatement. Yeah. In the opening, they were in bed together. Mm -hmm. And suddenly this one, Mike gets up to get a drink of water or something, and then he heads out to the... The hallway of his apartment, well, in the building, right. and here comes a little bunny rabbit, and then the bunny rabbit's dead, and he's pulling a knife out of it. Yeah. Weird things happening. And I want to ask you, do you think that it might have been more like a spell that got Elliot to fall from my... Mm. It, it's it possible. So it is very quick. possible, yeah. Because we've seen Elliot all season long not get this gaga for anybody. I'm not saying Mike's not cute, (laughs) but this just seems like super fast. Oh, yes. It was extremely fast. Yeah. So, yeah, there definitely could be some hanky-panky going on there. Right. Besides the hanky-panky that's going on there. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you never know. I mean, maybe it just they had that connection. And the beast who is using Mike, we're assuming. Yeah, when his eyes glow, we... Figure yeah. that's probably not Mike. That maybe it's just he knows every little button to push. Yes. So I guess it's possible. But then you have Quentin and Alice trying to spend time apart to see if what they felt in the Antarctic was actually real or not. Right. And they kind of fell fast, too. So, I mean, I guess with what we're seeing, the timeline is a little skewed. I agree with that. Okay. So... It's like, skip, skip, skip. (laughs) We have Mike all of a sudden with that bunny knife. Mm -hmm. It's weird. Weirdest thing in the world. I'm sorry. Pulling a a knife out of a bunny. Yeah. Just hop down your hallway. But anyway, he goes to attack Quentin while he's out with Penny and Alice had just left because they were trying to work on a, a project together. Right. They're doing group projects all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And Alice left. She probably thought they were both slackers. You know how that is with group projects. Yes. 
But it ends up that he misses Quentin because Penny saves him. Right. Which, which was at this point, I'm surprised, right? Yes. Was totally unexpected that Penny would step in front and take a knife for Quentin. I mean, is it and I know we've we've discussed this further on, but is he just getting used to them or it's like his only friends and he or it's just instinct? I think it was more instinctual for Penny to do that. I really do. There's with Penny, a lot of his bravado is just an illusion. It's not the real Penny. He wants to come off that way, but he isn't that way. (laughs) I gotcha. I, I can understand that. But yeah, weird things starts happening to Penny and he starts growing like growth. Well, it was thorns, right? Right. Like, in his body, which was creepy. And, of course, you know, they questioned Mike, and Mike's like, I don't know what had happened. Right. But I Quentin and Alice, like, hey, wait, I read this somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Where else could you have read that? Right. Because I swear Quentin has only ever read Fillory and Further. He's never read any other books. No. Not at all. <laughs> He's like, I have them in every language. Um, maybe, maybe not. But it was something that happened in the book and they had to sacrifice something special to the person who's being attacked because it's supposed to represent their heart. And of all the things that we're going to have that pet that has to be representing his heart, Penny has a candy wrapper. Right. And it was from Katie. Yes. That was kind of rough. It was. Because it's not something that you're going to think like, oh, yeah, he's totally into her. And the one thing he's going to really remember and cherish is a candy wrapper. But they didn't really spend, I guess, time that wasn't sexy time. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess that was one of the few things that they, like, shared and had their moment. So it just seemed weird. But it was Quentin that figured it out. Right. Because Alice is like, I don't know, what's this? And she's like pulling this and out because they're in the room trying to figure out what is something dear to him. You know, Alice is thinking something from family, something from, you know, a past love. And Quentin is the one, I think, because he's so heartbroken right now about what's happening happening between him and Alice, that he's like, it's got to be something connected to Katie. Right. But the candy wrapper. But at the same time, I guess, who's going to keep the candy wrapper? So they end up healing Penny by destroying the candy wrapper, which kind of broke my heart because right now we don't know where Katie is. She kind of poofed off because of what was happening with her mom. And now Penny might not actually have anything physical to remind him of her. Right. Makes me sad. Yes. (laughs) Uh, You want to talk about Julia? Yeah, if we get her in rehab (laughs) and... um... You sound so upset about Julia. Yeah, she well, still has me pretty ticked off right now. Yes, it's Julia's not on anybody's good list yet. No, not yet. And she overhears a little group talking, and Richard's leading the group, and she kind of stands off and listens for a bit. Uh, Richard definitely uh, tunes into her immediately, and basically tells him that he was trained at Bright Bills, and that his group is practicing religious magic. And, you know, he didn't pussyfoot around it. He just came right out and told her everything. 
I still feel like it's very strange that she ends up at this particular rehab where this guy's a chaplain who used to be trained at Breakbill. You know, it, it's just, it's really weird. There's too many coincidences. Oh, yeah. Absolutely was. And he gives her this little spell that's supposed to call a goddess. And we see I her. I just love that she does it. And at the end, she's like, uh, amen. Yeah. <laughs> and just as she's about to give up on it, nope, you're levitating all the way to the top of the room. Right. Ugh. So many things. And I'm, okay, I'm putting this out here. It's where episode eight People are drawing all this crap on the floor to perform magic. Mm-hmm. How does nobody ever notice what the heck is on the floor? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, she's in rehab. Nobody's going to walk in and go, what is this? Mm-hmm. When Katie's mom died and the cops came to get her because she was hemorrhaging, they're not going to be like, what is all this on the floor? Right. You know, it, it just seems strange that all this stuff happens and nobody notices. <laughs> does it just like disappear? I, I don't get it. Yeah, it magic does strange <laughs> things sometimes, so I guess. Maybe it does. So unfortunately we have to back up a little bit and talk about like I said, Mike killed Jane or Eliza, however you want to call her. And he walks out and he just knocks the the Dean right over with yeah. magic. Because the Dean isn't quite there yet. He's still recovering from everything. Yes. And Elliot happened to come down because he had wanted to try to talk to Mike. And Elliot sees this all happen, and he's the one who has to kill Mike right. to stop him. And this is, you know, the beginning of the end for Elliot, you know, psyche, I guess. Yes. <laughs> because, I mean, he talks to him, though. He does talk to Mike. Right. So he's getting both, I think, at this point, Mike and the Beast coming through. Yes, I agree completely. You know, it's like, did you remember? Was it always you? Did you really like me? And then just, well, this man who I thought I was in love with, I now have to kill. And it had to be instant. Right. Because if he thought about it, I don't think there was any way he'd have been able to do it. No. Both magically and just mentally. Right. It breaks my heart. Mm Mm-hmm. It does. A lot of this show does. I don't know what the heck they're doing. They're trying to just have me sob in a corner. (laughs) Yeah, this episode definitely was... A strangling of the heart. <laughs> yeah, no joke. It was rough. It was it was a rough one. These episodes just throughout the season have been phenomenal. So, you know, high five all around sci-fi. Okay, well, that was kind of eight in a super tiny nutshell. Right. Now we'll move on to episode nine, The Writing Room. Quentin discovers that Penny stole and destroyed the manuscript he had been given. Penny relates that it contained information from Jane Chatwin about finding a way into Fillory. Quentin, Penny, Alice, and Elliot travel to the Plover estate to search for the button from the manuscript and find that the mansion is haunted by the ghost of Plover's housekeeper's children, who Plover's sister had drugged and killed to prevent them from disturbing Plover's work. Quentin discovers that Plover was molesting Martin Chatwin and that he disappeared rather than dying. The four of them find the button. Meanwhile, Julia helps Richard by entering the mind of a paralyzed woman. Again, a really hard episode. Yes. Because the beginning's really kind of lighthearted and happy, and then it goes dark. Real quick. <laughs> oh, my gosh. 
So all I can say is, again, watching sci-fi put this onto the screen, which I understand everybody who's read the books have said, you know, there's a lot of really dark moments in the book, but that they're translating it really well. Yes. So I'm I'm grateful for that because I'm hoping to read these over the break. But wow. I mean, just seeing this because, well, you have, you know, the happy Quentin is like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to go. And we're going to Plover's Estate and I'm going to see where he wrote the books. And he's all fangirling. Yeah, big time. Right. I mean, you might as well just see his arms flail. It's pretty similar. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just picture him as a cartoon character. on the back of his uh, right. T-shirt. <laughs> I just picture him like a cartoon character, like, oh, yeah, you know, the arms just going. Uh-huh. Because uh, he was. He he was when he's there. He's taking pictures, and he's correcting the tour guide. Right. Yeah, and, and the tour guide is kind of like, seriously? This yeah. is my job. That would be like correcting, you know, whoever's taking you around Disney for, like, a backlot tour. Right. It's like, this is all I do. I know what I'm doing. But does he really? Yeah, apparently not. Because weird things happen. Yes. Which is really cool. Elliot ends up helping them get there because, you know, Quentin and Alice are like, all right, we have to go there. Penny just kind of like pops over. (laughs) Thanks, Penny. Thanks for the help. Yes. And Elliot, what was it? There's a a magical door to a bar that they like or a pub that they liked out there. Right. So it's like, oh, it's easier. Let's do this. So nice. So Elliot helps, gets them there. And Elliot is drinking from his never ending flask. Yes. The magical never-ending flask. Right, which is where I'm starting to think things are going bad because he's freaking out about what happened. Yes. Which is completely, completely understandable. Yes, it is. But it worries me what's going to happen to Elliot. Yes. But Elliot is able to keep his head in the game at least. There was a lot of weird crap happening. Yes, there so was. Where, where do you want, which would you like to talk about first? Because there's so much strangeness. Oh, yeah. We get the ghost of kids playing games with our Scooby gang. <laughs> and then we get the ghost of the housekeeper. and She's a nutter. Yeah. Big time. <laughs> She's scary. <laughs> she reminds me of every crazy... Like, scary woman in every movie ever, basically. Right. It's like, don't go in that room because fill in the blank. <laughs> you know, it, it just, like, it's creepy. Going way back to, like, Psycho. Mm-hmm. This, this, she just reminds me, which it ends up, that's Norman Bates. Oh, my God, spoiler. <laughs> but, yeah, you just have that going back, and it, it, it is very creepy. But the gang all ends up getting separated. Now, not, let me back up. Let me backtrack, because I'm trying to, like, Get this all together. Sorry. They break in, basically, to pl- the Plover Estate. Right. After the tour. And they're looking for information of where the... Button may be. Right. And they end up finding a safe, which has all this special information in there that nobody's supposed to know. Oh. hmm And one of which is about Plover's sister wanting him declared dead because they never found him. Right. It's like, okay... So that's when things start sounding weird. Where did Plover go? He couldn't get into Fillory, which we find out, because that's why he always gets the information from Jane and Martin. Well, why is he so interested in Fillory? Yeah. So this is where things happen, and we start wondering, okay, did he somehow find his way in and couldn't get out? Did he do something bad? Could he be the beast? Right. And with what? We've discovered that he did to Martin. 
you kind of put two and two together and say, yes, it's very possible he is the beast. Because this is when the gang all gets separated. Right. We have Alice and Elliot who end up together. So thankfully they were together. With the housekeeper's daughter. Right. Telling them to be quiet. And she has them tied up, though. Right. In little kids' chairs to give them tea. And this Plover's sister is the one who's giving them tea and just saying, he needs to work. You need to be quiet. Drink your tea. And the little girl just keeps shaking her head like, don't drink it. And then it turns out, like, the next second, because Alice had drank some, Mm -hmm. but Elliot didn't. Yes. And then next thing you know, the little girl is, like, all ghosty and, like, throwing up blood. Which freaked me the hell out. Yeah. But it was Kids black. are always creepy in horror movies. This was the same kind of thing. Yes. Creepy kids. Yes. Very creepy. And that's when Alice starts putting it together. Like, oh, my gosh, she's she poisoned the kids. Mm-hmm. But it was probably supposed to be just enough not to kill them, but to, to knock them out, basically. But she didn't know when to stop. Yeah. And so I don't think it was intentional, but I don't think she was sorry at all. No. Right. So I'm like, well, she wasn't sorry, but I don't think it was something that she did on purpose. What do you think on that? Oh, absolutely true. Because when we do see Jane returning from Fillory and sitting down and having the tea, she just goes to sleep and then Plover does his thing with Martin. Yeah, I guess we should stop tiptoeing around that. <laughs> Yeah. Quentin and Penny get separated as well. Yes. And Quentin ends up finding, well, actually, they both first find the little boy, the housekeeper's little boy, and they're playing with him. And Quentin and the little boy go to hide because the, the sister ends up finding Penny and zips him to the quiet room, which, of course, is, like, in the basement. Yeah. Just sounds creepy. You're going to the quiet room. It's like, oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, pull on that collar a little, like, yeah. uh, But as Quentin and the little boy are hiding, they can see inside Plover's den. Right. And this is where things really go wrong. Yes. Jane like passes said, Jane out. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Plover has it. Martin get undressed so he can take pictures. And this point is where I'm... I'm wondering, what if it's not Lover? What if because this is something that's going on, because the little boy tells Quentin there's pictures all over, and it just uh, it breaks my heart. So he is obviously abusing Martin. Right. Not just, this would be more than just, I, I would say, mental. He is emotionally abusing him, mentally abusing him, physically abusing him, but not beating him. Right. It's more, it was sexual abuse, which we're assuming they don't specifically say that. No. But because of all this abuse and nobody was there to help him because Plover's sister even knew it was going on, but she kept saying he's a good man, which unfortunately you hear people make excuses like that. Mm-hmm. What if it's Martin that is in fact the beast? Right. And he is just so damaged and so mad because in this episode too, Plover says, Oh, Fillory won't take me either because Martin isn't being taken into Fillory anymore because Fillory is for the innocent. 
and Martin has had his innocence taken away because of Clover. Right. It was very hard. Yes, it was. But it was it was kind of strange to me. Jane ends up coming back with the button. This was before she goes in and falls asleep. Right. And she tells Martin, we have the button, but he doesn't want Clover to know. Yes. But he didn't want to keep it either. He gives it to the housekeeper's little boy and says, go hide it. Right. And I thought that was strange. Like, if he wanted to escape, why wouldn't he hold on to it? Any ideas on that one? I think he actually knew that he had gotten to the point where no matter what he tried, Fillory was not going to let him in again. Hmm. So I think See, I we had think already seen... The darkness for Right. Him. Because when that happens, obviously you, you have that anger and hate and sadness and everything else that you can possibly have forming. Right. Hmm. That's interesting. But... We find out later that they ripped up ripped up the house trying to find this button, and the little kid who went to hide it, and I say hide that in parentheses, right. ends up being killed by Plover's sister because Quentin sees it through the crack in the door. And again, she didn't seem too upset about it. No. She's like, eh, all right, I guess I need to go stash this. Mm-hmm. How is this not something people notice? <laughs> I mean, I understand they're talking about it was back during uh, World War II, but did kids just up and disappear and die that often? Mm -hmm. It's crazy. But it turns out that Penny figures out where the button is since Quentin is like, well, the kid had it in his pocket. She killed him and she took him. And Penny's like, oh, light bulb. He's in the quiet place. Has to be. Which again, weird. Because she just has a place to go down and basically torture kids. So she's kind of jacked up in the head, too. Yes, very much so. This was a very disturbing episode, that part. We're not even to some of the other disturbing parts. Yeah, speaking of jacked up, Richard's little test for Julia is to enter the mind of a paralyzed woman. She herself gives a few tests before Julia can get in. Right, as Julia wakes up in a coffin. Right. And I love it. She's like, well, somebody's seen Kill Bill. <laughs> exactly. But she ends up passing the tests. Yes. And so, you, you, we find a, out a lot about the woman that, you know, you kind of feel like she was a good person. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. And was trying to do good magic. But she wants Julia to end her life. Which is not something Julia was expecting. No. No. She was more than happy to keep coming back and visiting her in her mind and getting to know her better, but no. I have no words for this. No, no. It was another tough thing to see. Right. It's just, I mean, I have been somebody who's done several reports on euthanasia growing up, and just, and part of that was seeing family at some point, but it was really hard to see it actually portrayed on the screen right and somebody who physically couldn't ask for help but when they show her mentally you know she's completely fine and you know coherent i guess is the best way to put it right and seems really at peace with the idea of this happening yes and this is something that julia has to deal with and it's a long hard you know thing to think about especially everything that she's been through already i mean you kind of compare quentin's story up to this point with julia's story up to this point and you go hmm 
Julia's had it a whole lot rougher. She has. And when are we going to start to see her snap? Hopefully we don't see that. Yeah, let's hope. But but yeah, if it does, it may not be pretty at all. Mm-mm. All right. Well, I think we did the super fast nutshell two episodes. I think so. All right, guys. Sorry. Uh, sorry we didn't go a little more in depth as Steve and I usually do. But yeah. we want to get this out there. And I apologize for it's not working out originally. <laughs> so fangirlzone.com. You can find everything you need. Our email, our Twitter, our Facebook, our Google+. I might even have the MySpace thing up there. I don't even know. <laughs> I'm trying to resurrect that from the dead. So find us all there. Steve has like a bazillion places you're going to find him on the webs. Absolutely. Cwordpodcast.com, goldenspiralmedia.com, doing witness prophecies, doing sports night for Hollow Nine, soon to be doing Wayward Pines over there, Pod Doctors Podcast.com, a Doctor Who podcast. So. And any of our old stuff over on DVMPE. So, all right, everyone. Then for Sci-Fi Talk episode ten, <laughs> I'm Sean Fangirless, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Steve. And until next time. <laughs>